Hello, and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. In this episode, we're going to be answering the bloody stupid question, how does Julie Andrews escape Nazis with active learning? So, to join me in answering that semi-offensive question today, <laughs> we have... I'm Mark, and I'm a guy with a new microphone, and also uh, will soon be learning designer at Durham University. And I'm Olivia. I'm a learning designer at the Open University, and I am finally hoping to um, show off my knowledge of musical theatre. <laughs> and I'm Mike, as always. Um, I'm still a guy with a microphone, or it's less new than Mark's. And I love a musical theatre. I love bad, cheesy musical theatre the most. I think my favourite is Honk. Oh my god, I'm the odd one out. I've never seen that. <laughs> Oh, it's glorious. It's about, it's about, it's the ugly duckling, but yeah. in super cheesy um, musical form. It's wonderful. So action to myself to find out when that's going to be on, so I can go and watch it. Oh, it's, it's a real kind of community centre play. It's uh, wonderful. You know, your, your local school will have a, like a, an under 12 performance on. Oh, joy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, how does Julie Andrews escape Nazis with active learning? Uh, let's go into part one of the show where we break down that question. Part one, the question. Okay, so first things first, what is the sound of music? Um, now, I'm going to pass over to Olivia here, who is very much the expert on it. So the sound of music is probably best known as a film. Um, in the UK, it's usually on, on Christmas Day, at least one channel. Um, but it was originally, it's a true story, sort of, uh, based on an autobiography. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a true story. Oh my god! Yeah, it's an, it's based on an autobiography. Yeah. What? Yeah. So that's sorry, the... sorry, you blew my mind. <laughs> so th this is the only bit I know. Actually, the only thing oh. I know about it is that it was an autobiography. It got adapted into two movies, uh, two German movies, I think. The first of the two movies got adapted into a musical play, and then the musical play got adapted into a musical film. So it's still only half the story as well. It's still yeah. the half. Yep. It was the highest grossing film of its year. So um, assuming no knowledge, um, the basic plot is about Nun, Maria, who is sent to be a governess to seven children of a sad widowed sea captain who's Captain Von Trapp. And long story short, they all learn to sing together and they, and they make use of their talents um, in various clever ways. And a long story is slightly longer. Um, <laughs> so the, I guess there's a real contrast between the two main characters, uh, Maria, who's very youthful and rebellious, and the captain is very stern and serious, and he won't allow his children to have fun or to sing because they make him sad because of his wife who died. Um, so the children all spend their days kind of marching around the grounds of their country estate and um, feeling sad. And then when Maria turns up, she is horrified that they can't sing because obviously that's a wonderful thing. Um, so she defies their father's instructions and teaches them to sing. And when the captain hears them, his heart melts and um, his heart starts to melt towards Maria as well. And they fall yeah, in love. I wasn't expecting the romance no. there, was I? Oh. Uh, they get married. And um, just as Austria is about to invade, be invaded by Germany, the captain is then asked to serve in the German Navy, but he can't do that because he's very patriotic. He's very patriotic Austrian. So they then have to flee Austria over the mountains using the fact that they can sing as a cover. Well, I know, it's just so wonderful, though. It's such a wonderful movie. I'd, um, I'd only ever seen bits of the film before, and it's one of the most parodied things, I think, possibly ever. 
um, but I'd never seen it all the way through. Um, so after kind of Olivia suggested this as um, the basis for the episode, I went away and watched it on Disney Plus, who don't sponsor us um, <laughs> yet. And oh my god, it's just such a delight! And there's so many weird things about it that you kind of you see, and then you go, "Oh, I've seen that in a bazillion other movies since." So it's such a an archetypal movie. I know, as you say, it's much much mocked, but I don't know why because I think it's glorious. It is. It's aged so well. Yes, I think good good music tends to um, tends to sort of outlive um, other other fads and styles, and that's aged beautifully. Mm. But there's some really lovely things as well, like any time that um, I'm going to always say Julie Andrews, any time that she's um, looking lovingly at the captain, uh, they put this wonderful soft filter lens on. <laughs> this kind of soft filter blue yeah. lens, sort of rose tinted glasses. There's a whole really scene sweet. of that kind of about three quarters of the way through where i think it's all got all through that lens um yeah i did some research yesterday into you know why it's so widely not and i didn't really come up with an answer but a, a lot of the critics were saying the same as you that it is it's just very genuine and authentic and how can you not like that mm. it's one of those things that stays very constant because so many people associate it with their childhood so the implausibility of it doesn't really stand up because you know so much of it is actually based on a true story. So yeah, I mean, apart from the bit about them escaping yeah. over the mountains, they actually just escaped by train. Um, yeah, it's you know, it's a it's a, a nun who became a governess who then married the father of the people of the children she was looking after, and um, and they became a fabulous singing sensation. And then you know, the second half of the story, they storm America with as a as a singing group of you know, as a singing family. So, so it's, so you can't knock it on in the inauthenticity because this has actually happened, you know? So, yeah. Well, there are some, there are some differences between yeah. the true story and the film, um, which I could go on about, but maybe I right. won't. I think the, the chief one for me is probably that um, people in Austria at the time didn't have North American accents. And I don't know why I find that so jarring, but it's when they're going, Heil Hitler. That you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hey, you too, Chad. You Heil Hitler too. <laughs> nice one, bro. I think you're meant to be so overwhelmed with the joy of it all that you don't notice that. Well, there's always an element of, of you know, um, uh, there's always an ele element of, well, not fiction, but but construction around these sorts of things. Because, you know, the the Von Ritter guy, not the Von Ritter, the Ritter guy, Von Trapp, um, you know, he looks just like Christopher Plummer. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's always an element of the fact that you've actually suspension of disbelief <laughs> that has to go with these things in, in, in any fiction, really. The suspension of this disbelief is something I always have an issue with with musicals, which is that you've got a group of people all getting together and suddenly they all break off into song. And that's an element I, I kind of struggle with because like, I've never really seen that happen in real life. But, you know, this is why... It's aspirational, though, isn't it? I suppose. Well, I should say we should do more of it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's... I'd be very yeah, happy I'd... to break into song. I'd love that's... to do a learning design workshop that goes halfway through, just like, <laughs> how do we solve a problem like workload? <laughs> Action to you, then. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where reality's got it wrong. We should write that, Olivia. <laughs> Okay, so that's um, that's the sound of music. So the other component to our question is active learning. Now, active learning is kind of a, a broad umbrella, which um, we, are, uh, for the purposes of this episode, going to seat a few things underneath. But Olivia, you wrote um, an article on it recently. I wonder if you could just kind of introduce um, your on, your kind of concept of active learning to us. So I'll read out something that I actually found on the Open University website, so they know what they're talking about when it comes to learning. Um, so it's about 
learners being cognitively active, engaging their minds in their learning. Uh, it might involve an actual physical action, such as making something, but it will always involve cognitive action. So that's kind of being minds on as well as hands on. So just listening to a lecture is insufficient. The understanding is actively constructed by the learner through thinking about the new material, processing information and making connections with previous learning or established ideas. And I see, I think this is a really interesting time to be talking about this as well, because um, as you may have heard in some of uh, the Don't Pivot Swivel uh, episodes that Mark's <laughs> been doing recently, uh, plug, 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 um, the with a lot of um, other universities currently um, shifting towards an online uh, delivery method, it's a very easy trap to fall into to do the PowerPoint, or sort of the death by PowerPoint, the um, just kind of convert all your teaching into presentations and videos and screencasts, and then make it a very passive experience for learners. And I think this is something that the Open University, and certainly we in learning design really push, is kind of this concept of active learning is actually kind of, you know, cognitively engaging the learner using the tools that are at your disposal over distance, which is yeah, it's, it's, it's an easy thing to kind of try and bolt on later, but a, a really cool thing to, to account for a little bit earlier when, you, when you're doing your initial thinking. Okay, I was uh, reading something interesting uh, this morning, somebody had posted on our team about that attended um, a workshop assessment webinar thing, and it was basically really relegating content to like the bottom of the list. So there's all these things that you think about, and then you start thinking about content. And I think that process of, focusing on other things before you start focusing on actually what is the stuff that you're going to upload or the stuff that you're going to get students to read or whatever is an, is an interesting process because I, I know 15 years ago people were saying content is king and everything's based around having the best things to look at the best things to read or the best videos to watch and the focus now is so much away from that and more on what are the students going to do and that's been a constant process over quite a while now I think. Hmm. Yeah, because content-focused learning is just, it's inherently quite passive. Hmm. It's that read, watch, listen kind of aspect that just kind of literally asks you to sit there and absorb one person's brain worth of information into your brain. Um, and I know we've talked about this in previous episodes, but that's not always the best way for everything to be taught. Um, and as much as anything, it doesn't let you teach skills. How the hell do you teach a skill? How do you teach like people to communicate or present or do anything like that yeah. just by dumping information in front of their eyes did you just go into a german accent sorry olivia sorry go on i was going to say um there's a i think there's a risk as well that when people hear the word active learning they think that clicking something is active because i guess you're kind of moving a finger um but that to my mind is not really active learning yeah they talk about interactives and it's like well yes you're interacting with the materials by click yeah that's just what olivia said sorry so i need to say that again but yeah i mean they're <laughs> looking at interactivity of the objects but then it's like well yes it doesn't matter how much the, it's not really about what the object's doing it's about what the student's doing and surely that's more important and yeah and i think the focus is still not necessarily on on making the students do stuff Hmm. It's, it's, it's just it, i'm finding it very interesting seeing um sort of other universities and other kind of uh, learning designery bods on on twitter who are kind of going through this sort of mental process at the moment um which is a sort of accelerated version of what the open university has been doing for the last 50 years mm-hmm. um where there was definitely kind of a um a focus on putting stuff into books uh which people could then um upload into their own minds at their leisure um and how kind of with you know the people have been trying to introduce ways to make that active from the beginning um, and I know there's the whole sort of uh, digital delivery uh, thing can be a little bit um, controversial to those who prefer print media. 
um, but the way that it enables people to do other things, to interact in different ways, I think is um, is really, really important and, and a thing easy to miss. And I think, yeah, if you're looking at skills particularly, you don't really develop that many skills by reading a book. I mean, you learn how to, to <laughs> learn how to read, but, you know, if you're talking about practicing and practically apply, applying particular skills or particular knowledge or those sorts of things, you, you, that's not something that you get by, by just reading or watching a video or whatever. Okay, so Olivia, what would you say the defining characteristics of active learning are? So to quote myself in a recent blog post I just wrote, um, I would say it's about prompting students to engage with materials um, and with each other and with the tutors. Um, and at the Open University, we do that um, in lots of different ways. Um, but it's about making sure that, that students build their own understanding um, and they form connections between what they already know and what other people know. And yeah, build their own knowledge rather than just um, reading about what other people think. Hmm. And when you say engage, what sort of, what kind of, what types of engagement are you, th- are you thinking with that? Um, I would think about um, maybe scenarios, um, you know, trying the the, uh, the skills out for themselves or applying them to a situation that they're familiar with um, and seeing how it works and learning from that. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'd say as well, people learning using the skills that they're there to develop. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's the difference of read, watch, listen and, you know, find, demonstrate, practice, um, develop, interpret investigate design create you know it's all those those nice active dewy words um which you know will often be kind of drawn from your learning outcomes so you know one of your learning outcomes is that you know not just that for example in a i guess a podcasting course that a person knows the mechanics of how sound waves work but also that they might be able to create their own podcast you'd want to kind of inspire that creativity and you want to scaffold up them testing ideas and finding things and researching things and you want to use those you know find research uh, test create uh, words in uh, in the activities as you're pitching them mm. and also i think that you know there's learning in the feedback that you get from your podcast for example or as you're going along you realize that's a terrible piece of software or this is a better process this is a better way of doing it i um, mean asking questions to other people about how have you done this um so there's so many different opportunities to learn mm, absolutely uh, mark do you have anything to add um another question really can active learning work for anything i mean are there some things where I don't know, it's looking at uh, ancient Greek history or whatever, that there is something active you can do, skills you can learn. I suppose it's things like you could be presented with a sort of virtual field trip or some materials or some original documents you have to make sense of for yourself, I guess. So there's still skills there, aren't there? Or you could get them to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. <laughs> and I've never learned so much Greek history since playing that. So, you know, there's that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I've answered my own question there, which is completely the wrong approach. But is there any, does it work for everything? I would say no. Okay. Controversially. Ooh, and what would be the exception? Well, I, I would just suggest that there's a lot of stuff that's built on a basis of knowledge and understanding. So even if... And, and, you know, it'll often be kind of a bits of passive learning will often be wrapped up in bits of active learning. So if, for example, you had a bit of problem-based learning, which was go forth and produce thine own podcast or go forth and learn Greek history, then you could come up with a really lovely scenario to do it. Um, and, you know, you're finding tools and things, but eventually you're probably going to need to, you know, read that snippet article on how to open Reaper and configure it. You're going to need to watch that video tutorial 
on you know some guy from America fiddling around with uh, with mixers, that sort of thing. I think it's I think it's hard to escape it as kind of like a foundation for a lot of stuff to then build on. I'm thinking of um, we talked about Craftvol's uh, taxonomy mm. uh, a while back, and that sort of consumption uh, of just sort of that knowledge and understanding consumption level being right at the bottom, and then things building on top of it. At, at least that, that's my that's my possibly controversial view. I think I think it's all about balance um, and not letting that dominate and understanding that's kind of the, ba- the, the the ground level and that you should build from there. Yeah, I don't think anyone's saying maybe they are that um, that all learning must be active. Um, it's just that there possibly needs to be more of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> okay, so what would you say um, are the benefits of active learning? I would say that it ultimately aids aids retention of whatever it was that the students were meant to be learning. Um, I think you're much more likely to be able to remember something if you've done it for yourself and you've worked out how to do it for yourself and made a few mistakes along the way and asked a few people some questions about how they did it. When you start putting that those skills or that information into your own context, it, it kind of becomes more personal, doesn't it? And then it's uh, easy to remember. Yeah, and I guess that's why active learning is such this such a nice, lovely kind of umbrella term because it brings in those concepts of um, sort of constructivism and social constructionism, and experiential learning and reflective learning, learning through doing, um, and it will yeah, it all just falls in a nice, easy heading because everybody, if you say active learning, people know exactly what you mean. Whereas if you say constructivism, they go. <laughs> it's also good because it kind of redefines what education is for in a way because. What you're producing at the end aren't just people who know a bunch of stuff and can memorize it. It's about creating a bunch of people. Creating. Yeah, we are. I mean, that's what we just do. (laughs) I mean, let's not shy away from that. But from a critical pedagogy approach, what we're doing is at the end, we've got a bunch of people who can actually go out and do stuff and make changes and do things for themselves and, and have an impact on the world around them because they've acquired a bunch of skills rather than just a, a, a list of things that they remember. And I think that makes a difference as well. It kind of redefines what it's all for. Here, here. Potentially quite sort of transformative in, in that respect. And maybe that's what you were, you've just been saying, Mark, that it, when, you, when you learn to do something for yourself and you bounce ideas around and you listen to other people's perspectives, it, it changes your own perspective. You're not just reading a history book, for example. You are talking to other people about history and their perspective on it, um, and presumably and potentially learning an awful lot about their perspective and why they have that perspective and why it's different from yours. And the confidence that people acquire through doing it. You know, if you've got a skill that you find that you can actually do, particularly it's one that you never suspected that you were capable of, then that gives you an immense amount of, um, you know, the, so I've already said it, but uh, an immense amount of confidence. So, uh, which means you are more capable of going on and doing more things, really, which is also mm. good. Of course, if you really screw it up, then it takes away your confidence. I suppose it's a <laughs> two edged sword. <laughs> you can still learn from that, though. Yeah, that's true. If you can. I'll never yeah. do that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. actually confidence is a really nice hidden graduate outcome that you kind of, you, you, um, it's sort of a lovely indirect result of active learning because it's, because as, as, as you say, it's the difference between graduating uh, as somebody who can recite all of the kings of England since dot mm. um, and somebody who could, I don't know, dig one of them up 
and desecrate <laughs> their grave or something. You know, and you need a lot of confidence to do that. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Quite a lot. Of, yeah, more. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting approach. Oh, so you've just dug up and desecrated a king of England. Well, and I feel you, great. Yes, <laughs> I feel great. Well, I've got to have to mark you pretty high on confidence there. <laughs> Okay, so I think we've got a pretty good idea of what we're um, meaning by active learning, and we've had a primer on the sound of music. Uh, let's go into the second part of the show and see if we can't answer our question, how does Julie Andrews escape Nazis with active learning? Part two, the answer. Okay, so where does Julie Andrews demonstrate this active learning that's going to ultimately help her escape from the Nazis? So that all happens, well, it all starts to happen, I would say, in the do re mi song um there's one major difference between the film and real life is that in real life the family could already sing but in the film they couldn't and because they hadn't been allowed and maria uses the song do re mi to teach the children how to sing which to my mind is very active learning because they learn to sing by singing by singing the notes then they learn about individual notes then they hear them and sing them back then they practice them then they put some words to it. Um, there's a bit of a spot where Maria takes some questions from the children because there are some things they don't understand. Then they do some more practice. Um, then they finally use the notes that they've just learned about to create a new song, which they add words to. It's, it's really wonderful, isn't it? I didn't... So, um, I, like I say, I hadn't seen uh, the movie until um, until Olivia suggested it. Um, and I watched it, uh, uh, well, basically this weekend, just gone. And holy moly, like that whole sequence is just... just the most wonderful bit of sit-down teaching. Like we could have probably apply it to half the episodes we've done so far. This could be the Sound of Music and Learning podcast. They're doing this do a dear. It's wonderfully broken down and just put, uh, pulling the children in and just kind of Im- Im- immediately involving them with the process of singing in that yes. song. And they're kind of they're learning through the singing. And there's some actions as well, so um, that will also help them learn. And then, as you say, they're kind of they're creating their own um, their own piece at the end of that. So almost yes. almost kind of going up the. I'm trying to think, is it up the taxonomy of blooms? Kind of up the, yeah, up the pyramid? It starts with, the, yeah, it ends with the whole that production thing right at the end. They've acquired all the separate bits, they've memorised them, and now they're getting together to recreate something. Yeah, that's cool. Exactly. Is there anything else we want to say on this this active um, this active learning bit? Well, I was going to, you could also say that, you know, once they've learnt that song, they then, they continue to learn, they continue to sing, obviously, and their kind of singing skills develop hmm. and they can then sing in other places they and a lot of the songs they learn then kind of become part of the plot they sing a folk song for their father um they sing so long farewell <laughs> um and then they sing at a music festival at the end which um is kind of part a critical part of the story yeah They've gone from not being able to sing at all to singing in front of a huge audience so how does that help them escape the nazis then because that's because i don't i only know the songs i don't actually know the Oh, well, they sing at this music festival, mm. and while they are um, backstage coming on, get, getting ready to come on for their final number, they escape through a back door and um, drive over the border. Oh, okay. So, so everyone's sitting there. Yeah, so they're singing at this music festival. Um, they go off to get, get prepared for their final number, and while everyone thinks they're backstage, you know, changing, whatever, um, they're actually running away. 
So the singing gets them to the music festival, and the music festival is what gets them to close to the border yep. so they can actually get away. Yep. Oh, and was that all part, part of the plan right from the start, or was that just something that happens incidentally? It just emerges towards, towards the end when, they, when there's this kind of pressure on the captain emerges that he cannot, in all conscience, join the German Navy, and they realise they've got to escape, um, and they've got to do it really quickly. And then around the same time, they get this invitation to sing at the music festival, and... And they're escaping. Yes. I think they were planning, they weren't planning to leave at that point. They were planning to leave after the music festival. Oh, no, no, because they're sneaking away with the car. They've got the engine yes. turned off in the car and they're sneaking away yes. in the night. And then suddenly the Nazis appear. Yes. And that's a really scary bit in the film. And yes, then they, they, they managed to sneak away while everyone is, is always, um, attention is diverted. Because the reason I brought that up is that that's also an interesting aspect of active learning is that if you're only learning a set of facts, then you're kind of limited in how you apply them. Whereas actually, if you're learning skills, work with me here, because I'm not quite sure where I'm going. But if you're learning a range of skills, then you can actually reapply that, reapply those in different scenarios. It gives you more flexibility. But also it means that there's an emergent property to the whole educational process that you've learned this you've learned this and you've learned to do not you've learned to do this you've learned to do this you've learned to do that and by doing these things you can put yourself in a position where you can then learn something else whereas actually if you're only learning this fact which always leads to learning this fact because you've got a very instrumentalist simulative approach which is really closely designed then what you end up with is something that's a lot more limited a lot more structured maybe but also has a very clear-cut resolution, which means the opportunities to be creative and to take advantage of emergent situations and therefore be responsive to changes in your immediate environment are a lot more limited, whereas with active learning, it actually fulfills that criteria, those criteria. Is that bullshit or does that actually make... No, no. Like I say, with active learning, it allows you to be active. And act on things around you, like, oh, yeah. I'm at a music festival, let's escape the Nazis while we're here. And not just that, but the way that they start off, and this is actually a fantastic accidental callback to confidence, because mm -hmm. as Olivia said, uh, the children start off quite sort of almost cowed and militaristic mm -hmm. and sort of marching around in little starched uniforms. Mm -hmm. um, but they then gain the confidence to sort of, you know, rebel very quietly against uh, their father's um, sort of slightly narrow perspective. They get the confidence to wear curtains in public. Um, they um, And then they gain the confidence to sing in front of these wonderful groups of people to sing they yeah they do wear curtains um <laughs> and to perform at this huge music festival beautifully and confidently uh, while the entire front row is full of the nazis mm, interesting so yeah call back to confidence yo yeah, yeah that's really good is sound of music now uh, one of these sort of audience participation things is it done yes. like rocky horror show yes so there's a bit of sing along so that's kind of active learning as well isn't it but it's more like active participation there's more of a you feel more part of it as an audience member because yes. you get to do something. Yes. Have you been to actually, one of those? I have been to one. And it's actually very comforting because for years I thought I was the oddest person alive because I love the sound of music so much. And everybody laughs at me because I love it so much. Um, and to go to the theatre and see a thousand other people dressed up in curtains or as nuns um, <laughs> singing along. They all know the words. They all know the actions. I felt like I was kind of part of a part of something but I wasn't alone in my love for the sound of music but there were at least a thousand other people just in my town who were willing just to come in out your on town. a winter's evening to sing along to the sound of music wow oh that's wonderful <laughs> I feel like coming home it did actually yeah. yeah 
Okay. Oh, I, so, I used to do those Disney sing-along ones. They were good fun. So, I mean, if we were talking about active learning, is there something to be learned about that as well in that actually when you're doing active learning, like being an active member of an audience, you're not just simply passively sitting there. You're engaged. You're part of the experience. And that feels much more participative, fun, engaging, all those sorts of things as well. Is that social? Yeah. Social. It's social. And that's that's good. Is that a fair parallel as well, Olivia? You know, it's part of the engaging with something and performing a skill is that you get to see how other people do it and why they do it, might do it differently from you. And there's learning there as well. Um, yeah, not just alone engaging with the with the material, but you're part of a community of people who are also engaging and therefore you can look at what they're, which is what you said, but um, yeah, you can, it's a shared experience then and, and life is a shared experience and we create, we can create learning situations which just don't seem like normal life because they're sitting at home reading a book whereas actually an engaged social experience is more how we live our lives because we're social beings on the whole and when we're not in having a pandemic and so learning that that draws on those elements just feels more authentic because it's more like real life damn okay so i think we might have answered our question pretty successfully um does anybody want to have a go at summarizing it in less than 30 words so i'll repeat our question how does julie andrews escape nazis with active learning i'll have a go yeah um might not be 30 words though um so julie andrews escapes the nazis through active learning by um using the skills she has taught others to manufacture an escape opportunity that's 12 words that's pretty good is it oh <laughs> I was counting on my fingers and toes. <laughs> Part three, practical tips for your own teaching. Um, so this is usually the part of the show where we talk about practical tips for your own teaching. I know we've kind of covered them a little bit as we've gone through, but uh, I wonder if we could just get everybody's kind of everybody's top tips um, on active learning. <laughs> this is going to sound really plaintive. It's like begging, but if you're a teacher, no, if you're a teacher. Always start with what are the students going to be able to do by the end of your course, not what are you going to teach them. Because starting with the content, starting with the stuff is exactly the wrong place. It's a, it's really what skills are the students going to take out from your course to act on the world around them, to create things for themselves and to have some sort of impact. And if it's all just about learning stuff, then you're not doing your job as a teacher. Hey, hey. And Olivia? I was going to add a couple of things. One is about um, the fact that um, active learning can be made really meaningful. So um, encouraging people to put the skills or the information into their own contexts. And that's one of the things that, that um, Maria does really well in The Sound of Music, that she helps them learn songs that are really meaningful to them and their family. Um, so that's something important to mention. And... The other thing I was going to mention was, uh, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I always thought there should be a Cockney version of, do, you know, do some do, some dosh, go treat yourself, <laughs> Ray, <laughs> right from down the pub. <laughs> <laughs> me, oh, me, I've me, remembered. me, bruv. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, go on. I was going to talk about scaffolding and how um, important it is to, if you're, when you're focusing on skills, to build those up 
gradually. And that's another thing Maria does really well, starting really simply and making sure that the kids have got the basics before moving on to the next step. I'm nodding silently. <laughs> yeah, that's good radio, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I'd say uh, for me, my top tips would be just uh, look for opportunities to introduce it. If you're finding yourself um, uh, giving people reams and reams of text to read or bazillions of videos to watch, just look for opportunities in there to uh, add an active element and you'll find that it'll just shift how students approach it. If an activity for them is going to be read this thing, then read this thing, then they're going to, you know, either bypass it or consume it in a very passive manner if it's read this thing and then with that thing create another thing then they're going to naturally engage with that in a very different way but i would also say um to always keep an eye on workload uh, and cognitive load because um if you are sort of piling on the active components do just account for that uh when you're uh, doing your planning for students because uh, you don't want them to get overwhelmed yeah, because, you know, it's a great way to build up confidence, but you can lose it really quickly as well through active learning because you just, if you cannot do something and cannot work out how to do it, then, yeah, that's it. You, you just become mm. demoralized way too quickly. Yeah, I was thinking about it actually with the problem-based problem, uh, problem -based learning episode, um, just because it was yourself and Rebecca both pointed out that it's very resource and time intensive for educators and students and how, you know, you need to really be willing to dedicate quite a large lump of your curriculum time to it. Um, and just kind of like, yeah, you just, yeah. So the more exciting it gets, the more you do need to kind of account for that. Anyway, so I've drifted enormously off point there. Uh, cool. Uh, anything else people want to bring in before we wrap up? No, you still haven't sold me on musical theatre. I don't think. What? <laughs> okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll edit that bit out. <laughs> I don't want to admit to that. <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Wish I'd known this a year ago when we started this. <laughs> well, you you just know, need. Not... Oh, go on. Sorry, Olivia. You just need to find the right the right show. Well, I do like the Rocky Horror Show. I have watched that. Oh, that is so, fabulous, and that is fabulous. That's true. <laughs> the problem is, there's a lot of bad musicals. Oh <laughs> uh, well, maybe that's been my problem. Is that I've just seen too many or badly done musicals. Yeah, I started watching Hamilton. That's quite good. Ooh, what okay. do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it took it took me a little while to um, to kind of get into it. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really I don't really follow American history um, so much, um, so I don't get some of the references. But um, yeah, I quite like the musical style. It's a really neat approach. Oh, that's interesting. What's your, what's your reaction to it then? I couldn't get on with it. Really? No, I like the staging, and I like the idea, and I like some of the songs, but it didn't just didn't feel finished to me. But there's too many songs. Half of them aren't anything to do with each other. Um, there's no kind of. There didn't seem to be much musical unity and um, we went on too long um <laughs> and also i didn't think we, i know you don't always have to like your main character but i didn't really take to hamilton particularly oh, <laughs> well, oh another goodness. controversial opinion oh we should do an episode on hamilton oh yeah <laughs> or i saw the musical version of night uh, not 1984 um animal farm Ooh, how was, was that cool. it was atrocious <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of music was it Oh, it was it was like kind of scout gang show type of music, you know, like uh, yeah, it was, I, I don't know, just like all jolly jumping around, like oh, it was it was it was oh. pretty it was pretty awful. Can't think of a less jolly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly why it didn't work. It was like oh no, this is all these you really basically these must have been put together by somebody that thought it was a a funny story about animals. <laughs> from the people who don't use charlotte's web <laughs> oh my goodness yeah. anyway we've, anyway we've definitely just got into the long grass here so yeah okay I'll, that um, can go as well i'll wrap us up yeah <clears throat> 
So thanks very much for listening. You can subscribe to us on all of your favourite apps, feeds, iTunes, and at our website, pedagodzilla.com. You can also get in touch with us via Twitter. I'm at Pedagodzilla. I'm at Mark Childs. And I'm at OKA underscore Roland. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, and we really rather hope you did, we'd be obliged if you could please leave us a review on uh, iTunes or wherever, really. I'm not fussy. Just, just like to know you're out there, really. Uh, and similarly, do get us, let us know if there's anything you would like us to take a look at in a future episode. Anyway, we love you lots, and we'll see you next time on Pedagodzilla. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. Probably some recommendations about what musicals I should watch next as well. Ha, 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 ha.